Liveline on RTE Radio 1 with Kia. Coming soon, the all-new Sportage. For more, log on to kia.com. 0818-715-815 Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Liveline. So today, the first of two programmes, we could have done 22 programmes on self-published books. Labours of Love, fantastic piece of research, fantastic fiction writing, and uh, hundreds to uh, go through. We'll do our absolute best. We'll tweet as many as we can. We will uh, then put up on the website the name of the book, the author, and where you can uh, actually get it. Let's go straight to a memoir by Martin Sowards called Tea in the Burlington. Martin, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. How go, are you? Go straight to tea in the Burlington. Hello? Go straight to tea in the Burlington. Go straight to t- yeah. Tell us, tell us the, the, the nub of the story. Uh, okay, well, I grew up in Booterstown in Pembroke Cottages okay. um, with um, May and Pat, Ma and Da. Okay. And uh, we had a um, relative who was always uh, around and helpful, and that was Aunt Kathleen. Okay. And uh, after uh, Aunt Kathleen got unwell, she was in Donnybrook Hospital, mm-hmm. and uh, myself and my wife uh, um, at one stage brought her out in the wheelchair for uh, a walk, and we were passing the Burlington, and we had often uh, dropped in for a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And um, on a particular occasion, bear in mind now that I was 37 and married and had two children, yeah. on this particular occasion, uh, we got to talking about old times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I asked uh, Kathleen, uh, because I was an only child, I asked Kathleen um, to tell me something about Ma's life before I was born. Okay. Uh, and I'll just read you this. It's gone. Is that gone for a second? Are you there, Martin? Okay, I'll come back to Martin in, in a second. Eileen O'Duffy, Eileen, good afternoon. A very good afternoon, Joe. Thanks okay. for having me on. Sell the book. It's called From Dirt and Dips to Dry Robes, Bathing in Dunleary Through the Ages. What possessed you? What possessed me? Lockdown <laughs> possessed me. Something came out of all those miserable lockdowns. I've been writing the book in my head for years, Joe, about 20 years Massive swirling information, photos, everything. And just before Christmas last year, I was out with my friend Anna, and she said, well, now, isn't this the perfect time to sit down and write that book that you've been talking about for all those years? And I went home that night, and literally on St. Stephen's Day, I took out my daughter, took out the laptop, and started writing all day, every day. I didn't stop. And I was lucky by the end of March, I actually had a first draft. And I'll, okay. be, I'll be honest, that was the first time where I really felt confident that there was going, there was going to be a book. Um, it's a social history. Why is, it, why, is it, why is it a book about swimming baths, a, a social history, which it is? It is, absolutely. If we go back 100 years or so, a lot of houses in Dublin, quite a significant proportion of mm-hmm. no running water. It was common practice to head into the Ivy Baths, head into Tara Street for what they call the weekly wash. Now, yeah, there was a certain yeah. stigma, and it, it's very hard for us to understand that now, but there were really was a shortage of running water. And what shocked me, I suppose, when I looked to Kingstown, what we now call Dunleary, mm-hmm. there were luxury baths, needle baths, slipper baths, seaweed soaks for the wealthy. <laughs> while, while at the same time, 10 miles away, there were baths for people to literally have a wash. And they were often coal wash houses because there were and laundry they, facilities and, and they were there called, as well. That's why they're called, they were called baths. They weren't called swimming pools, they were called baths because that's what they were, Tara Street baths, the ivy baths. People went in to have a wash. Now, it's uh, from, it, is this a book you, you, you read from beginning to end or you can, or you can dip and dive into oh, it? Oh, you dip oh, and dive. Oh, ah. you dip and dive. It's, I wanted, I know social history books can be quite heavy going sometimes and I wanted it to be something that was enjoyable. Okay. 
informative, but dip and dive. You don't need to concentrate too strongly and just enjoy okay, it's the really, book. Well done. Congratulations. Fantastic achievement. Beautifully presented, beautifully printed. It's called From Dirt and Dips to Dry Robes. Bathing in Dunleary through the ages. The cleanest place in Ireland at this stage by Eileen O'Duffy. We'll put the details up on the on the website. Thanks, Eileen. Martin Swords. Back to Martin Swords. We're in the we're in the Burlington. You're, we're in the Burlington. Have your have you, have your mum and dad passed at this stage? No. Okay. Uh, my dad my my dad had. Um, okay. You're with Aunt Kathleen in the wheelchair. There's me and Jacinta and Kathleen in the wheelchair, and we're talking about old times. And I asked Kathleen to tell me a bit about Ma around the time I was born in 1950, in December 1950, because I was an only child. And I kind of said to Kathleen, tell me what the story was, because it was unusual in 1950 to be an only child. The woman either had six kids or none if there was a medical problem. And I said, well, tell me, did Ma have problems? And uh, Kathleen said, uh, she said, well, actually, she said, Ma didn't have any children at all. Mm-hmm. I I had the baby, and you're the baby. Wow. So. What a moment. This is, this is a, <laughs> an earth-stopping um, moment. Yeah, it's, uh, it's what I describe in the story as my drowning man moment. Yeah. Because in a sudden flash... Um, everything kind of explained itself and fell into place. Yeah. Kathleen was my mother, and she was extremely close to us uh, as we were growing up. But I didn't realize, you see, that uh, she had had me in 1950 uh, in Hollow Street, uh, and I was shortly after that put into uh, Temple Hill, um, mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Guild. And uh, I was a candidate for adoption and could have been adopted at any moment and gone off to America or God knows where. But Kathleen herself um, kind of fought tooth and nail, visited me all the time, paid my monthly maintenance fee in Mm. um, Temple Hill. Uh, And at the same time, she contrived to make arrangements to have me adopted within the family. And she persuaded her brother, Pat, and his wife, Mary, or May, mm-hmm. uh, to adopt me because they had had, well, they weren't going to have children because okay. May had had a couple of uh, miscarriages. So until you were 37, they were your mother and father, and, your, and they were your mother and father. Oh, absolutely. Yes, and the, yes. best, the best in the world. Oh, great, you know? great. But I, I had no knowledge of this at all. So where and did this, this revelation, did that send you then on a treasure hunt or a genealogical hunt? It sent me on a whole kinds of hunts. And the first place that it sent me was to go and have a look and see could I find my birth certificate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a birth certificate at home, but it was the short form birth certificate. And when I went into the registry of uh, births, marriages and deaths, uh, I was treated very carefully and brought into a back room by the supervisor that I was dealing mm-hmm. with. And uh, then I discovered that uh, I discovered A, that I had two birth certificates, right. and B, that I was adopted. There uh, was, and the reason yeah. I had the two birth certificates is that the first birth certificate was made out, and my name was Martin Mary Burke, B U R K E. And Kathleen at the time had uh, arranged, I suppose she was asked by the nurses, what's the name of the father, what's the address, this, that and the other. And she gave false information. Um, But you also found notes that Kathleen was sending to St. Patrick's Guild, asking them to look after you, the the receipt she got for keeping you in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, after I got the birth certificate and got myself mentally assorted with all of that, Uh, I was baptized Martin Mary Burke, okay. and I have never been baptized Martin Mary Swords, which is my name. Okay, you know. Yeah. Um, but but eventually, then that led me on to um, uh, correspondence and dialogue with uh, St Patrick's Guild. Some of it helpful, some of it not so helpful. Okay. And I got a certain amount of information. And then years later, I discovered then that the files for St. Patrick's had all been uh, acquired by Tusla. Yeah, yeah. 
And so uh, I went back and started the process again. And at that stage, um, uh, I got more information uh, from Tusla. I had recovered a lot of stuff that I call the big stuff, um, details of of my time in uh, St. Patrick's. But I knew that there was more. I always had the feeling when I was talking to them mm. in St. Patrick's. And did you find? Did you find? Telling me everything. Did you find other relatives, Martin? Oh God, I found other relatives all over the place. Mm. Not only that, but but because my mother May was not my birth mother, uh, I also found that relatives that I had that I thought were my cousins weren't really my cousins after all. Oh, of course, yeah. You know. And did you um, did you find out who your dad was? Uh, I did. Yes, okay. I found out how my dad. And this was part of the problem because uh, my dad um, was Kathleen's first cousin. Okay. So um, this, I think, was one of the reasons why she okay. gave false information yeah. um, uh, that went onto my birth certificate. That was to protect me okay. and to make um, sure that I had uh, a normal um Birth certificate. Okay, and there's beautiful photographs in the book of Kathleen uh, at work in the Lee Dairy in Dunleary, yeah. famous famous shop, 1938. And there are photographs of your dad in the book. There a, fi- are a fine, handsome, fine, handsome man. <laughs> did you ever? Did you ever meet him? No, he was dead by the time oh, okay. we had tracked him all down. Well, and he a, died it's a, it's and was bri- buried in 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 uh, New Zealand. Well, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant achievement. It's a great legacy project. It's called Tea in the Burlington, a, mem- a memoir by Martin Swords, and we'll be putting up the details in a few seconds on the website. Good evening, Mahog at Martin Swords. Now to Cork and to Peter O'Shea. Peter, good afternoon. It's called Murder Most Local, historic murders. Historic Mugraf, the Historic Murders of South Cork. This is your fourth book. So it's the fourth, yeah, the fourth in the murder most local series. So and I are they killing, as, as they say in Derry, are they killing each other non-stop down there for the last 200 I years? I like to say it's a big county in Cork, to see, and I suppose everywhere, you're never within about three miles from a murder. Okay, give us a few, another, another great achievement. Give us the, the, uh, the murder in Cork McSharry. So there's one down in a little village outside uh, Cork McSherry in Lislevane in 1904. And, and it, it, you know, I suppose people would forget now that, you know, everyone that married back then married for a reason or a bargain or a, something. So this guy, okay. Jeremiah O'Connor, he's a journeyman blacksmith. He comes living in a family out here in, in, in Lislevane. And he settles in there and he leaves and then comes back again. And I suppose he's taken by the only daughter. It's a little handy little setup. If he marries into the family, he takes over as a blacksmith and the old couple then retire. But, you know, they just didn't get on. And, and the agreement was that he'd get £6 a year, the battle leery, the old man would. And, and you know, they're just complaining to the police constantly. And he was saying, look, Jeremiah is not treating me right, mm-hmm. the son-in-law. And it just goes on. But the police don't believe it because Jeremiah was a decent fella and he was working in the forge and he was... He was so you who, know, so he, who killed who, Peter? Yeah. So one day in a, after a funeral, Bat is out in the road and he's shouting and roaring nasty things about Jeremiah's father, hmm, son knowing he, okay. he was going to draw him out. And he runs across the road and hits his father-in-law. A haymaker, I suppose, nearly blows him in the door of a pub. Hmm. And, of course, the woman, I like to think of it in this case, that the, the, the men in the family or the men in the house were not related, really. But whereas the women were, were, were stuck in it, were stuck with the problem of the men fighting. And... Ellen is in the thick of it, trying to stop her father and her husband from fighting, and her father pulls a knife <gasps> and stabs it into into her husband's chest and hits his heart right there in the street in front of everyone. So, Bat murdered Jeremiah. Yeah. So the old man actually did it, and he was described as a big, burly man, and he was well able, and he'd been a blacksmith all his life. So he was, you know, but he'd drawn him out, and he'd he'd actually wanted his son-in-law to 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 hit him that day and he said to him you'll be summoned at the next court but then he just went too far and he couldn't stop himself and was he I presume he's found guilty of murder he was found guilty of, of manslaughter and it was strange that when okay. it came up in, when it came up in court he actually said Bat said in court blurted out because of course the suspect wasn't allowed to speak in court back then or, or you know give testimony and he said it's manslaughter not murder I suppose but the place would be mine now so to me that kind of says all Bat was worried about was his place, his his blacksmith forged that he didn't want to give it away to another man. He couldn't and see did he, another did he, man. Did he do time, Bat? He did, he did. So Bat, Bat actually got 
um, four years of hard labour, which was tough for an old man. And it was Maryborough Prison, which is now Port Leash. And mm. he died two. He died two years later, which yeah. I thought was a relief, uh, really, because he didn't have to face going home and he didn't have to face, you know, the family. And but what it, nobody, it, what nobody knew back then, though, at the time of the stabbing, was Ellen was five weeks pregnant, yeah. and months later she'd give birth to a baby boy who'd never know his father and he'd never know his grandfather. Which, you know, I thought that's the sad reality of these both of them gone. And in one fell swoop, Ellen lost her husband through. Uh, the death and her father through the crime because he was sent to prison. Now, just for people who, who I'd love to encourage people to do, how do you do your research on these murders? So how, where do you start? It, I suppose it starts from, like when I started on the East Cork one, it starts from, you know, me knowing about stories all my life that were nearby me and then and getting the facts in and going back to the primary records at the time, the court records and, and the inquest records. And where, and then, where do you access the court records? I suppose the court records would be in the in, in the eleven would be in the National Library of Ireland. You can okay. use the news the newspapers, the journalists would give a good testimony to yep, sometimes yep. Of, the, of the inquest records and and then you might do their family tree. Uh you you try and piece it all together. Sometimes you'd ask people in the local area, um sometimes mm-hmm. that doesn't work though, because like, it could be two hundred years ago and there's no record of it. And what I find as well in families is sometimes there's a whole generation and they've just forgotten about it, particularly yeah, if, it's yeah. a, if it's a child murder or something that shouldn't be spoken but I'm, about. But I'm thinking most townlands over two centuries, most uh, uh, counties over would have murders that, that maybe have gone forgotten or undocumented or whatever. It would be great if yeah. somebody, somebody had an interest in them. A lot of it, a lot of it can be done online now, can't it? Yeah, so like like genealogy wise, a lot of it can be done online. Yeah, so um, you know, I find a lot of people. Though I see when I'm doing research, a lot of people have done a family tree and they don't realise that there's a murder in the middle of their family tree. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, because it's the unspoken about thing. Nobody wants to speak about it. We find, you know, that over the years, it's it's a part of local history that's been completely forgotten about. And you know, people do local history pamphlets and journals every year, but they don't want to touch the top, the more touchier subjects, which. Which, which in turn, as we discovered there about Jeremiah and Bat, become part of our social history as well. The why people got married, dowries, all the relationships. It's called Peter. It's called Murder Most Local: Historic Murders of South Cork. It's written by our caller uh, there, Peter O'Shea. It's available. I'm told you've you've brought it around to most independent bookshops in Cork. We're in nearly all the independent bookshops in Cork. We're in Vibes and Scribes in the city, in Cork City, and we're on shoppingireland.ie, which is is an Irish Irish, uh, marketplace. And I suppose really our motto is to shop local for Christmas and the last few days now. So um, shoppingireland.ie and... um, I think we still have the last posting day in, in, in for today, so we'll yeah. just about get in there. But it's a great, it's a great addition to local history. It really is, and well done, well done for doing it. That's uh, Peter O'Shea, Bridget Clesham. Bridget, good afternoon. This book is beautifully produced. It's five hundred pages, a hardcover, incredible photography. Tour McKeady, history and society. What what possessed you, Bridget? Good afternoon, Enjoy. Joe. Um, well, I was um, asked to, to write this history of Tormachidi by um, Ronnie Wilson, who has a, a house trim born in, in the Tormachidi area. Mm-hmm. And um, it began as a research project on the house itself, and it expanded and expanded and expanded and became a study of the whole locality. Um, and Tormachidi is just inside Mayo, isn't it? And it is. It's just, uh, just uh, well, it's in Mayo, but it, the border is very close yeah, uh, with near, Galway. Near Loch yeah. Mask. And like the photographs, uh, you have photographs from years and years ago. You've, you've, it's an incredible labour of love. And it, it would stand beside any book in any uh, library or bookshop, such as the level of detail in it. Um, how long did it take you to compile it? Um, well, I've been working on it on and off for the, the last 10 years. I can see and, that. Um, I can see that. And I, I, I must um, just mention Sinead Malie, who was the book's designer. She did a tremendous oh, job with she, all the photographs and, she, and the she cover. She did an incredible job. Yeah. And incredible. Yeah. And so did you. It's uh, something to be really proud of. Now, where can people get the book? 
the book is is in a number of um, booksellers um, locally. O'Toole's in Tormakidi, Brendan Lynch's in Clonbur, Martin Murphy's in Ballinrobe, Seamus Duffy's bookshop in Westport. Okay. And we'll, and, um, we'll, put the, are, we'll put the details. Tell us about Robert yeah. Shaw, your man from Jaws. Yeah. Wasn't he the boat owner in Jaws? And he was a villain yeah. in a large number of movies. Um, yeah. to take a pal- Robert Shaw lived in Tourmagedi. He did. He lived in, in this house, Drimborne. Um, he bought it in 1971 uh, with his wife, Mary Ewer. They were looking for somewhere to um, avoid the tax, uh, income tax oh, in course. England. Yes, and, yes. of course, he was an author as well as an actor. So, um, he, you know, um, Ireland was a tax haven for authors at the time. And um, they looked around and eventually they, they purchased uh, Drimborne. And that was their base for the next eight years until his untimely death just outside oh, okay. the village in um, 1978. And I know you're a qualified archivist and researcher, so that sort of comes across. This is this is a 500-page tome that, uh, as I say, will stand beside any history book, any uh, memoir, either in design or indeed compilation and writing. So well done, Bridget. It's called Tour McKeady, History and Society. How much is it selling for as a matter? Of interest. It, it's selling for twenty-five euros. Well, that you're giving you're giving it away, Bridget. Yes, yes. you are but giving it away. To, um, we want it to we want it to to sell well, and uh, we hope that people will enjoy it. And to McKeady, was it, was there an Irish college there? In our, there was yes. Books? It was founded in in um, nineteen oh five. Um, at the time that the Gaelic League were uh, busy reviving the Ar- Irish language. And it became a, a centre for um, Irish uh, uh, college mm-hmm. uh, in in the summer seasons, and lots of um, priests and um, teachers and civil servants went there for sessions in the summer months, and uh, they learnt learnt Irish because, of course, English was the language of the national school system at the time. Uh, well, yeah, previous yeah, to that, yeah, and yeah. and. and um, Everybody wanted to revive the Irish language as as um, um, to be taught in the national schools. Well, it is a, sub- a substantive tome in every sense, yeah. both in terms of research, and we put up details about it. That's true, McKeady. It's about three kilos. Is it? Did you weigh it? it, it no, no. It's it's just over. I think it's just about. 2.2 or 2.3. Oh, 2.3 kilos. About yeah, something um, like that. Be- beautiful. Yeah. Well done. That's Bridget Clesson. We're doing uh, self-published books and we'll be back after this break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Who wrote these words? With the treaty behind us, we were left with the Herculean task of taking over the government of a nation. That would have been a colossal undertaking for men of ripe experience in constructive statecraft, whereas we were young amateurs of no experience. I've never read anything written by, by Michael Collins, but it's in this book. It's an essay in practical politics, a superb piece. And he talks about Dev, and he doesn't name him actually, but he does talk about the, how the treaty broke down. Uh, that essay is called A Clearing in the Road, an essay in practical uh, politics by the late General Michael Collins and um, it's from uh, another fantastic achievement called Voices from the Irish Free State uh, uh, autobiographies and edited by Owen O'Neill Doherty it's selected essays from W.G. Fitzgerald's The Voice of Ireland 1924 he was basically a reporter and he put together all these essays written by various, uh, Lloyd George has has an essay in it he persuaded these people to write essays from Forum. And um, as I say, Michael Collins, the only um, the only uh, piece I've ever written, uh, I've ever read, written directly by Michael Collins. I could be wrong. Um, and it's a series of f- fascinating essays. Another fantastic edition, and we put details of that. Voices from the Irish Free State, uh, but uh, uh, selected essays from W. D. Fitzgerald, The Voice of Ireland, nineteen twenty four, and there on uh, the front cover is an is a. Uh, a chopped version, so to speak, of Sean Keating's Men of the South, which you can see in the wonderful Crawford Art Gallery in Cork. Who's next? Joe Queeley. Joe, echoes from the Civil War. Good afternoon, Joe, and good afternoon, listeners. Tell us about this book. 
Now, a course from the Civil War, I suppose, um, is uh, 20 years, I suppose, in the, in the making. And uh, it's about the killing of two members of Ungarda Shikana, one in 1925 in, in the heart of the border in North Clare mm-hmm. on three days after Christmas Day. And the other one, a uh, couple of years after 1929, by a booby trap bomb in West Clare. Uh, that was happened in a uh, fine June evening. And I suppose really what uh, intrigued me in writing it was when I was doing the study down to the years was it was the two wrong men that were killed. Ah. And I think I have written in the book, Joe, that uh, who were the two right men, if there were two right men to be killed, who were there? And I think the in-depth study that I did, I found the two men that were supposed to be killed. They were the targets. Uh, they were the targets on the night. And uh, I suppose the terrible grip of the book, the terrible, you know, hat and sword of the book, I suppose, was the sadness of all these people had fought with each other, you know, shoulder to shoulder against British occupation mm. up, 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 up until the 1920s, you know. And then the divide came and the lawbreakers became the lawmakers. And uh, the divide came and then there was units, you know, I think Clare, Owen Duffy said that Clare was the most lawless county in Ireland uh, at that <laughs> time, 1925. He was a commissioner at the time. Tell us, yes. um, tell us, Joe, the idea of, the, where did the idea come from? Uh, the idea came, I suppose, I suppose I'm, I'm from Fenor, not Clare myself, and I think that the, um, the, 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 I, I had been studying, the, you're gathering bits and pieces and things like that, you, you, you kind of start writing them, you leave them down and you leave them away and you come back again to them, you know. And then I suppose when the kind of 1922, the, the 100 years was coming up, I said, you know what, I must finish that. I must finish that and put it to this. And just for my own sake, more than anything else. So I got really down to it. And I suppose, Joe, one of the big, other big things in the book, uh, that I found was, you know, that where, the, where there's an awful lot of stuff written about the civil war in a broad scale. But to get down to the place where you can leave your hand in the stone wall, where you can leave your hand in the graveyard wall, where the IRA ambushed the guard from, and, you know, to, to, to hear the stream. And, you know, the night the guard was shot in Fenor, my mother was out that night as a young person. And, like, if you could just, for a moonlight night, and it, you could just imagine between, in the, you know, the, the graveyard of Fenor between the mountain and the sea. And they were out playing that night, and uh, they were going home. They were out in court, and they were going home. And, like, the sea was there and the shingle of the sand. And the next thing, they heard this four shots ring out. And the echo went all over the burden because there's caves in the sea and there's caves in the burden. And they were frightened out of their lives. And one of the, one of the loveliest things that came out of it was she described, she said, we were going up our own Boreen, she said, uh, up home. And the next thing, we heard the, sh- we heard the firing. And we were frightened out of our lives because we thought that they were firing at us. And we crept in by the wall. And we came back down to the road and we heard the bike coming and it was the other guard and he's trying to get away and they tried to shoot him as well. And and I, I, I was kind of bogged down a little bit maybe in the start of the book with with with, with mm-hmm. figures and facts and you know, getting getting doll reports. But the real heart of it was the people that were out that night that heard the shots, that that saw the guard trying to get away, that lift their hand in the stone wall, the graveyard wall and the stream and you know the Tully Crane one, where 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 you Joe got, where Lifeline got the the uh, James O'Sullivan over. There was yeah. a man herding cows, and the, and the the bog shook under his two feet when the bomb went off. That that's the hat control of the book. Wow. Okay, well done again. Echoes from uh, echoes from the Civil War and um, the killing. The it's called it the, the killing of Gar Thomas Dowling, 1925, and the Tully Crying bo- box bomb. I would say we, 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 we would never have got any contact at all with that, that time. That, that was 2010, Joe, and mm. we hadn't no hope of getting a, a contact for uh, Tygo Sullivan and somebody had your program in New York. Oh, and they said, good. "Oh God, he must be—he must be uh, a relative of 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 James's." And James was in the New York Police Department, and the Department of Justice brought him over, presented him with Tig's medal, oh, and we magic. brought him down. We brought him Wonderful. down, Job, all because of Lifeline. We brought him down to West Clare, and one of the lovely things that he did was we knelt down um, 
Faulkner, Vish Gold and Sean Malone did the, did the uh, scandal, did the yeah, documentary, yeah. The Banner Bomb. And he knelt down and he said, an old father and a Hail Mary and a glory be for all the people, the people that were killed and the people that yeah. killed his uncle, for all of them. He forgave them and I suppose... That was a kind of, and that was because of Lifeline. We wouldn't have got that, but for that. Okay, well, then we wouldn't have got it recorded so so brilliantly, uh, except by your great work and your great local historian and a farmer as well. That's Joe Queeley and Kerry. A few other books Duke, The Game of Life by Seamus Duke, well known. Uh, journalist, media, football fan with over 30 uh, interviews in it. Um, and it's a, another big tome. It's called uh, Duke, Dukey. Juki, the game, the game of life, uh, and it's the autobiography of the well-known media figure and sports uh, enthusiast Seamus Duke. Okay, uh, Henry L. Gavigan, his life and collected poems by Patrick McCarrick. I cannot begin to tell you how beautifully produced these books are. Beautiful typography, beautifully laid out, stunning reproductions. Henry Lawrence Gavigan, who died in 1933, 11 children, born into poverty, parents just survived the famine, he grew up in Ireland, uh, conflicted between its loyalty to the British Empire and the desperate struggle to escape, but don't we know. After attending and teaching school in his native Kilmacteague in Sligo, he emigrated to America, um, progressing to a key administration position in the US Postal Service, and he developed a reputation as a poet and became affectionately known as the Bard of Kill Mac Teague and it's Henry L. Gavigan and it's by Pat McCarrick well done Pat she'll be so so proud of that Grace Tierney Grace good afternoon hello Joe it's lovely to talk to you yeah, it's lovely to talk to you I don't know what languages do we do the words that came from what, what books the words that came from the sea I know was a previous one yeah, yeah that's right and um, now you've given us the words the Vikings gave us give us a few examples Oh, they've got so many. Uh, Thing was one of my favourite ones because we use that in so many different ways and it actually goes back to Viking parliaments and assemblies. Uh, so it's a whole a whole link back to politics rather than the okay. way we use it nowadays. Um, egg was a fun one. So the, the Vikings gave us the word for egg. Okay. So lots of little simple words as well as longer and more complicated ones. But every, every word in your book that the Vikings gave us, you could use in Scrabble. You could. Yes. You could, yeah. That's how you, you might have to fight over the spelling of Ragnarok, yeah. but I'm sure you'd find well, it in the dictionary, right? Is, that's what Scrabble is all about. It is all about fighting. No, Nokia. Nokia. Nokia is in there, yeah. yeah. I decided to put in a what few modern mean? Scandinavian okay. words, some of which are direct borrowings from Vikings and some not so much. The one I love is Bluetooth. So if you've Bluetooth yeah, on your us. phone or your laptop, you have Viking runes as the, the initials of the Viking king, who was called Harold Bluetooth. Uh, Gormson and United Norway and Denmark. So you dive into words and you suddenly find all these people and stories behind them. So Bluetooth, well, well it's the wireless transfer of... Exactly, Florida. yeah. yeah so and, uh, they wanted to have something that talked about uniting people when they were naming the project, so they named it after Viking. And Bluetooth Gormson... He was king of Denmark. Yeah, and Norway. Quite a man. And they reckon he didn't actually have a blue tooth. It might have been a black, rotten tooth. And that's how he was nicknamed in that way. And everyone thinks, when they every, first of all, everyone knows when you say Bluetooth, they know what you're talking about. The, the, the wireless transfer from your phone to whatever, your laptop or whatever. But it, And I think a lot of people would have thought that was a technical name where it's not. It goes back to the 10th century, to 958. Yeah, it goes way back. <laughs> yeah, I know. Brilliant, and Kindle brilliant. is the same. It was a modern company, modern idea, but they wanted to have something about kindling the light of ideas when we're reading our e-books on our Kindle. And they picked a Viking word for it. Freckle, frisbee, <laughs> glitter, kilt. So how, how do you research this? Oh, it's a long job. Yeah, yeah, I gather words for quite a long time. So I maintain a lot of lists. I'm a great woman for the lists. And as I come across words, I'll add them on. And I have a, a word foolery blog. So I would put out a call to my blog readers and social media. Do you know any interesting words? Okay. And then it's just loads and loads of research, reading up the books. Well done. Yeah. And it's, why is it self-published? Because I wanted the control. It's all a power thing. Uh, okay. I just quite like the idea of setting my own deadlines and okay. researching what I'm interested in and then putting it out there and seeing if people enjoy it as much as I do. And it's, it's available on Amazon, as a lot of the books are, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. yeah. And oh. also in Academy Books in Drada and Company of Books in Ranla. Well, it's a fantastic 
uh, effort. Like I remember Wards the Sea gave us, which I think we did two years ago on this programme, Skyscraper, Cyber, Gobbly, what was it, Golly Wobbler? Golly Wobbler, Scuttlebutt. that was the one, Oh, yeah. just, oh, it's a, so are you, are you any good at Scrabble? <laughs> I don't always win, which is quite annoying. I take it very personally. If <laughs> what I is your, your favourite word? I think my favourite one is quite a long one and it's not Viking. Uh, Flocky Knocky Nihilopilification which is quite a long one and it means to make little of something. And I just like the fact that it's such a long word. But Say it again slowly, flocky knocky. Flocky knocky nihilopilification. Okay. Sounds like Norway's entering into the Eurovision two years ago. <laughs> flocky, flocky knocky. Nihila. Nihila. Pilla. Pilla. Okay, will you, will you text that word into one of the lads here and we'll, uh, we'll put it up on Twitter because people... And what does it mean again, being put to down? To make little of something. Okay, okay, yeah. knocky flocky. Okay, I want, I want that word. Thanks indeed. Grace Tierney, another wonderful addition to the to the genre, to the oeuvre. Words the Vikings gave us. And that's part of our self-published book. Who's next? John. John, good afternoon. Hi, Joe. How are you today? Good. This is John, John Edmonds. Yes. And you're a firefighter. I'm a firefighter in County Kildare, indeed. Well done, well done. And tell us, you, why'd you put this children's book together? Yeah, I put this children's book together, Joe, to make safety the norm for children. Basically, delivering the schools program, I noticed the lack of knowledge children had when it okay. came to basic safety at home. Even, you know, for an example, some children, when I asked them, what number do you ring in an emergency, they were telling me 911. Because so, I'm watching too much American television. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So uh, I've had a passion for writing for years now, um, and I've done a lot of bits and pieces that I have myself. And I came home and I was telling my wife this, and she said, do something about it. So I wrote a book called Get Out Safely with Firefighter Zippy, and it's all about a little orange cat and his family of four and how they got well, to the don't. exit door. So stay down low or crawl on floors if you can, close all doors, when out safe, what to do, 999 or 112. Just a week, test, once a week, test your smoke alarm, just be safe, does you no harm. Candles, chargers, cookers and more can start a fire, so never ignore, you must make a plan, know your exit, stay calm, tablets, toys, pets and more, don't bring a thing, find your exit door. Well done. Well yeah, done. yeah, well that's done. it. Brilliant. Yeah. And it's beautifully illustrated. Who did those? Who did the illustrations? Finn O'Dolic is his name and he's done the illustrations for me now over the past couple of years. And to be honest with you, he was able to just pick what I had in my head and put it on paper. It was it was brilliant, like, you know. Okay, and I'm, I'm, I think it's a really important book. And there's n- there is nothing more uh, upsetting and we've had such a tragedy in South London at the weekend four young children two two sets of twins I could not I don't know about you, you John but I could not even bear to look at the photographs and the oh, papers I couldn't even bear Please. to read the article when someone said to me like that and I know that breaks my heart I know they were the apparently they were left in the house and wrong but please 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 everyone fire safety candles are beautiful but they're dangerous they are dangerous when you strike a match just be extraordinarily careful over Christmas extraordinarily careful with kettles with boiling water with boiling oil or whatever uh, it's a great addition get out safely with firefighter uh, Zippy do do the lads on A Watcher B Watcher C Watcher D Watcher they call you Zippy they call me Zippy yeah what? that's my name um, basically when I joined the fire service someone else had already taken the name John and I had braces at the time and let's just <laughs> say I like to talk so uh, Zippy they came up with fairly quickly and that just stuck Okay, well done, well done, well done. By the way, you're you're like myself. You're obsessed with well, I'm obsessed with fire engine models. You're obsessed with fo- real fire engines. Yeah, yeah, we have uh, we have fire trucks here, and I believe you actually came down a couple of years ago. I did, to indeed, there, yeah. Uni really, really impressive, yeah. yeah really that's impressive. Retired now. In the meantime, where, we do where have do another f- one on the run. Well, where do where do fire engines go when they retire? Do they just answer the false alarms? <laughs> <laughs> I seen online there a while ago a firefighter down in Cork turned an old fire truck into a coffee shop alright yeah great um, idea I know in Kildare oh, some very retired ones have been sent to Africa and Blazing Beans what's that a coffee shop or something is it is that's it? a coffee shop down in Cork yeah and it's an old fire truck it's so if you're ever down that way look her up and get oh, a coffee out of them sure and every, every fire truck has its own individual history well done get out safely with firefighter Zippy Zippy Edmonds thanks indeed well done well done Joe at rte.ie talk to Joe on 0818 715 815 
Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And there's some incredible collection of children's books around. Jerry Giraffe Makes Music by Valerie George. My ABC by Mike Watts. Riley's Rainbow and the Colours. Again, I cannot, I cannot get across how beautifully produced these are. There's three by Elaine Heaney. Chloe Cloud and the Friendly Fog. David Drizzledrop and the Puddle Party. And Riley Rainbow and the Colour uh, Catastrophe. As I say... Beautiful productions, and I'm so sorry we cannot get through them all. Tommy, Tommy Torpy's Mars Adventure by Pat Mulcahy, Pat, Pat Mulcahy, Ashling Sofist, so Post, uh, Tashias Gelge, um, a Granny Special Delivery. It's another another one. That's the same same writer. That's by James Kelly, illustrated by Rita uh, Deneen. But again, we are such a healthy and people. I I thought the the answer a few seconds ago uh, that it was given by Grace about why she self published. People sometimes think self publishes because they can't get it published. That's not always the case. That's not always the case. And I know publishers can only. Um, take on so many and also they can only put so many fit so many uh, books on the bookshelves and Easton's or Hodges figures or or Blessington books or whatever uh, but there's fantastic fantastic selection Thrive this whole series by Gillian Powell MED and it's autumn outdoor nature activities for children and their family spring summer and winter there's four the four seasons in four separate books Colm Liddy Colm good afternoon your book is called is Colm there no I'll keep going with my children's books are you there Colm I am uh, yeah. hello Joe tell us what's, what's the name of your book it's called Long Ago in Drumoland and tell us what it's about funnily enough it's the, the, well, the title is a giveaway Exactly, exactly. So Drumoland is well known now as a five-star hotel, but for 300 years it was the home of the O'Brien family. Ah. Protestant gentry, but very much an Irish family. I mean, they descend all the way back to Brian Brew and to all the generations. You know, very much an Irish family. And where, where do, for example, the wonderful photographs, where did you source, all, even paintings, where did you source all them? Well, so many of them are available online now. I think that, like, archives of all kinds have sprung up here, great, there, and everywhere. Great, great, and great. it's a matter of bringing them together that yeah. have kind of been buried for several generations. And it's, I mean, it's, it's about people. It goes back to John O'Shea. It's about people. Have a sp- if you have a specific interest in a specific topic, in a specific area, you just go into it. You might be the first person, you probably are the first person, to actually go into that particular area and you're adding to our, our fund of, of uh, knowledge. Now, um, you, as I say, it's full of uh, beautiful photographs, but they were a fascinating fam- family. Ten more babies, for example, is one That's chapter. Right. Yeah, well, like they had so many children. For one thing, the O'Briens would have uh, sometimes 17 children in one generation. So there's a heck of a lot of them, and they did so many things. I mean, you've got a fighter pilot, a nun, an artist. You've got lads who are alcoholics. There's even a drug addict. There's scandals of various kinds. They're just an amazingly colourful family um, throughout the generations. And it has William Smith O'Brien. That's right. I suppose he stands above them all. I mean, he's a a truly national figure. Um, He was a bit of a wild child as a youngster. He got involved in two duels, which only barely survived. But then most of his career was spent in the House of Commons, where he tried to, you know, to bring the English government to realise the problems in Ireland. And and especially the famine. Absolutely. I mean, he, that was like the final straw for him. He had been trying to do it politically, diplomatically with all this research. They never listened, and ultimately that radicalised him and made him into, the, the famine was the final straw, it made him into the leader of the Young Ireland Rebellion, and which was an attempt. A Young Irelander, exactly. But the house, Drumoland and the Beatles. That's right. I mean, now in its most recent career, it's had so many um, you know, famous people who stayed there. The Beatles were there just a few months after they opened, and... I mean, they, it was just the classic Beatles. It was John Lennon and George with their two girlfriends looking for a little bit of a break. But mm-hmm. um, for the first part, they were, it was fairly quiet. They actually, at Heathrow, they dressed in moustaches and kind of glasses to get through. And nobody knew it around Jamond for a few days. But then the word got out, massive media scrum. And mm-hmm. they eventually agreed to do a photo shoot. But it's just like a hard day's night. They're kind of japing around, playing with swords, um, going on to doing the croquet, pretending it's like snooker cues and just that whole beat vibe is, is so there in the photographs from the time. It's by Colm Liddy and it's called, is this your first book, Colm, by the way? 
Well, I've done a few before. I actually oh. used to moonlight in fiction, but I've kind of given up that now. I just tell the truth, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Photos and stories uh, collected by Well Done. And um, again, we put up the details of where people uh, can get it uh, on our Twitter feed at Joe Liveline or at RTE Liveline. Paul McKegney. Paul, good afternoon. Hi, Joe. How are you? What's your, what's your book called? Joe, it's actually my father's book. It's called oh, okay. In the Isle of in the old ago, it's an, it's an expression meaning a long time ago. And uh, we self-published uh, this book for my father in 2010. And he happened to just pass away five weeks after the book was published. Ah. Um, but since then, we've, uh, we've just, we've reprinted it five times. Uh, we've had, you know, a number of waves of interest in the book. I think that the last wave has chimed with, with lockdown as uh, people are just becoming more aware of what's around them, what's in their local, uh, the local areas. And it's a very, it's a very different book. First of all, the size of it, it's, um, it's, it's talk about coffee table. It is the size of a coffee table, um, and then just this, this deserves a much wider circulation. Just when you explain the pages, because you open a page, say in the middle, and it's, uh, it's uh, old tempo, the pottery killing in tempo. That'd be a drawing. Uh, each, each, each page is. Uh, the centered pieces drawings are they by your father Joe so, the, the 283 pages in the book are all by my father wow but he was some genius God rest him he was some genius like Dune uh, Dune, Dune Rath an ancient royal residence and he has all the different aspects. Uh, and when he when he writes about the kiln and he and the pottery kiln and tempo, he'll go through and their drawings and they're fine fine drawings um, of all the different instruments used. The the this a clay he, pipe head was found. The pottery arch chamber, the water ground uh, underground arch ash pit. Um, the uh, underground passage, the funnel, the crucible or the cylinder. It's just. And, and did, he, did he ever see it published? He did, Joe. He did. Oh, he was great. delighted. He saw it. It was published for five weeks um, <clears throat> before he moved on. Oh. And I suppose just to go back to the start, he was an undertaker and a shopkeeper. Um, and people would have come into his shop and told him stories. And in fact, he, he heard a story about three houses burning down, not 100 metres from, uh, from his shop, about 60 years before that point. And he had no, he had no recollection of it, or he, there was no common recollection of it. So he, he was motivated to record local history, yeah. um, so things like that wouldn't be forgotten. And armed with only a cassette recorder and uh, and his faithful ally Beamish, a black and white dog, um, he set out around the countryside, around Fermanagh, Cavan, Tyrone, um, and uh, he recorded uh, people. He was a disarming man; people would open up to him. Um, and uh, you know he 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 would he would record people their stories. He'd go into their fields and he'd kick moss mm. off old stones and um, and you know record and discover stone circles. Like he'd stand in in the ruins of deserted hearts and deserted houses and uh, measure them all out by his foot and uh, and and then illustrate them. And uh, you know I remember one time he, he told me that he was made tea in four different kitchens that day. Uh, you know, with, yeah. with his recording of, of local history. Is there anything else like it in existence? It's called In the Old Age Illustrated Irish Folklore. Now, where are the original, the originals for these pages? Where are the original drawings and, and illustrations and writings by your father? So the, we moved the, his collection into the, the Fermanagh Museum in Enniskillen. Well and done, big, well done. Thank you to, to Sarah and Sinead in there. Uh, they've supported my father tremendously over the years. Um, that's that's his written collection, and the um, the his recorded collection are with um, the UCD folklore department. Okay. Um, and a big thank you to Chris Thor McCarthy there, uh, who are digitising his cassettes for entry into the, uh, the 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 National Archive. And where do people get it? Where do people get this magnificent book? It's on. It's actually only available on folklorebook.com. Okay, well that's fair enough, but I. 
I just, I hope there's a copy in the National Library. I hope there's a copy. Well, there will be a copy in Trinity and indeed UCD uh, and local libraries because it is a unique and magnificent uh, achievement by your father and it is a unique and magnificent uh, achievement by his family to have it uh, collected, to have it memorialised and to have it bound in a beautiful book that means it will never, ever, never, ever, ever disappear. Well done. That's Johnny McKeg. Johnny McKegney is the writer. Go ahead. You wanted to finish, Paul? <laughs> Just to finish there, Joe. Thankfully, thanks to Kenny's that I, um, the book has actually been selected for admission into uh, a dozen of the um, Ivy League universities in the yeah. States and the Library of Congress. So it, it is in a couple of different places. Also, Iris yeah. Nutron and Buckingham Palace as well <laughs> along the way. So we've had a great journey with it since my father passed away. We, we refer to it as the, the gift that keeps on giving. And how did it um, get into book? You sent it to Buckingham Palace, I presume. Well, no, well, Prince mm. Charles was over in Enniskillen for the opening okay. of the, the, the Enniskillen Museum. And, uh, you know, when, when there, we, we thought it right to, that he should... Uh, have own a copy and, and okay. he's delighted. Well, he is a he is a he is a painter himself, as you know, watercolorist. Um, yeah. I I I defy anyone not to find this collection mesmeric. No matter where you open it, is brilliant. Well there's done, well done. There's to something you. in it for everyone. Joe. There sure is. There sure is. about the Samana Heart. There's ghost stories. There's fairy stories. There's pages about uh, mass rocks, giants' graves, corn mills, sawmills, kilns, and coach building. In the old age, illustrated Irish folklore. I think it's unique by Johnny sorry, McKegney. No, and that sorry, was. If I, could, if I could just interrupt you for the last time, it's actually, it's not in the old age. Sorry about that. It's in the old ago. Oh, the old, old. Okay, old ago. Exactly. Okay, it's, it's okay. It's an expression in the old ago. Okay, okay, in the old ago. Okay, and it's a. Uh, by uh, Paul McKegney's uh, father, the great Johnny McKegney from Tempo in Fermanagh. Good evening, Margaret Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Uh, more books that we just don't have time. Self-published, Jimmy's Times, as a photographer, written by Harry O'Reilly, from the camera, uh, the camera of Jimmy Weldon, a special collection uh, chosen by the photographer himself. Again, you cannot, you cannot undersell the, the quality of the production. The best Irish proverbs and wisdom you'll ever read, Store Shanuckle uh, by Thomas P. O'Moran. And again, especially uh, illustrated with, with, uh, with, with children in mind and accessibility in mind. And uh, that's a lovely, lovely, another lovely piece. Sunny Spells and Scattered Showers by, it's a collaboration between two creatives, Rebecca Carroll and Mary Kennelly. Uh, stunning, stunning colours and beautiful poetry. Beautiful poetry. Two creative artists. Round Wooden District, everyone, anyone going up around Glenda Lock, uh, Lock Dan or whatever over the Christmas season would find this book totally enjoyable. Historical Folklore and the Archaeological Society in Roundwood have written this book. It's a journal and uh, it's just out and that's, uh, I think, sells for a tenner. Um, the Visitors, a collection of poetry, another great collection of poetry, and it's just to have your to have your work in print is so important in terms of uh, legacy and uh, even for your own even for your own family. A place to call home, Feng Shui Design, a guidebook for design, connection, and belonging by E. Dell Cleary. What makes a house a home? Location, build. What is it? And there are loads of illustrations, and again, beautifully, beautifully produced. Brendan Bourne, Brendan, what's your book? Uh, the story of the Carneys' execution. Who are the Carneys? Carneys. They were a family who were, uh, they fell foul of the law in the 18th, 19th century and the, the trade of father and two sons were hung up on Bonabrina. Okay. The, the miscarriage of justice, I believe. But they, and who, uh, who did they, who, who would they, who would they found guilty of killing? Even though they, were, they were accused of killing uh, the steward of a uh, local landlord related mm-hmm. to the Shards, Ponsonby Shaw. And they they they'd fallen out with the with the steward over the period of years, and there was bad blood between them. But then they an odd digging match between them. But then they the man vanished. He was going to the market one day, and they never found. Him. This is the steward. His name was Kinlan. And how did and you then, become interested in the story? Well, the the um, my uncle Greg lived in Drumlin, and we were cleaning out his attic years ago, and we came across a handwritten manuscript. Wow. which was the true story of the Kearney. So we did a bit of digging and, and uh, 
did a bit of background research over the period of the years. It was lying there as a as an interesting story, and then latterly I decided this would be worth publishing. It's a good story. Mm-hmm. It's a bit embellished now. With it. it's not a hundred percent historically accurate, but it's okay. embellished with a bit of <laughs> bit of romance. But it's a, it's quite a good, interesting story. Yeah. Is this your first book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the illustration on the what's that? The three the three members of the family, the father and two sons, going to be executed in Bohernabrina. That's right. Yeah, that's a, from a, a print by William Sadler done in. He, he witnessed the the parade going up to Temple Oak Village. You know. And when you say you found a manuscript, like what was it? A, a box of no. White? It was uh, there was various he collected books and it was various bits and pieces of paperwork. We found this. It's a sort of a foolscap copy, handwritten and sort of old-fashioned writing, and written by the looks of with a pen and nib. So, and well written too. So we we read the story, and then, as I said, we over the period of years did a bit of digging, research, etc. Now it's fairly well known in in historical circles. In fact, the the old Dublin Society did a paper on the Carnies about two or three years ago, John Fitzgerald. And do we know who? Do we? Who, it's a relative of yours who wrote the manuscript. No, no, anonymous. Oh. We never, we never found. Oh, out you never wrote. found out. No, no, never found out. He was but, dead at the time. Obviously. But it is the original manuscript. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a mystery. That's yeah. a mystery in itself. What year? I'd say it was written around the eighteen fifties, eighteen sixties. Oh, that's incredible! I, I well, that from the from the terminology used. But well, well done, Brendan. That's a great yeah. achievement resurrecting that. The Carney's a true story. For some other books as well. Thanks, Nate, Brendan. Uh, Smugglers in the underground hog trade: a journal of the plague year. Surprised as many people were about how few literary references exist for the Spanish flu pandemic. So resonant of what we're going through now. Was it 1918, 1919, 101, two years ago? William Wall made a conscious decision to document the experience of the strangest year uh, we have lived. And it is a, uh, a series of poems, a series of poems about the times uh, we're in and he, he dates them and um, the October lockdown. And it, it's, it's, almost, um, it's almost like a, a diary, but it's, uh, it's, it's just uh, full of beautiful, beautifully, really well-written and constructed pieces by William Wall. When Gemini's fall, oh no, Donovan, uh, or Donovan, and it's uh, around the story, around the story of the Twin Towers, the tragedy, the horror, the horror of the Twin Towers on 9-11. And um, it begins, that's where it begins. And it's a crime, crime, that's so many, a crime book. And it's written by Owen O'Donovan. Patrick McSweeney. Patrick, good afternoon. Hello, Joe. How are you? What's your book called? The book is called The Forgotten Voice Combinant. It has a story about my grandfather, who was vice commandant of what was effectively the city brigade of the Mid-Limerick uh, brigade of the IRA. And why was he forgotten? He was forgotten because we we, we just lost... Um, he used to live... My grandmother used to live with us. He died uh, He died um, in the Civil War. Uh, my grandmother used to live with us, and he, she died when I was 11 years of age, but we never got the full story. Um, he had a fairly active service in, in, in the revolutionary period. He was... Um, he was a company captain. He was a vice commandant of the second brigade, and then he he, he was also his 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 frames of influence, if you like, came from the fact he was a he was a player referee and the county treasurer of the GA. He was also a head centre of the Limerick IRB circle, and he was a figure in the establishment in the Fianna Erin and the Irish Volunteers in the city. He was also quite interesting, one of the six men who was outvoted at a crucial brigade meeting to determine whether to proceed with the plan 1916 or Easter Rising in Limerick. Uh, a lot of people don't realise that they actually mobilised in Limerick, but because of McNeil's countermand ah. standing order, yeah, yeah. Um, they had a vote. So he was one of the six that was on vote. They had a vote, it was 10 6, so um, there was no rising to be. Um, so then after that, he was in third during the War of Independence in uh, Wilmer Scrubs, London, where he, took, where he participated in uh, hunger strikes that garnered uh, international attention. Um, he was then subsequently held in Ballykindler. Of course, yeah, like uh, so many, yeah. In, in County Down. Yeah. And uh, after that, then he took the Republican side in the Civil War, and he assumed he, he was actually stationed with the anti-treaty IRA chief, chief of staff, Liam Lynch, in the Sarsby Barracks during the battle for Limerick City. So um, he died then shortly afterwards, after the fall of Limerick. Um, he uh, retreated southwards um, and after battles in Adair, 
Patrick's Royal Newcastle West. Um, he ended up in Buttervent where he took ill. Um, um, and he was sent to Cork, North Infirmary, but he was arrested out of Cork, North Infirmary, and he ended up in uh, Limerick Prison, where um, at that time there was overcrowded on sanitary conditions during the height of the Civil War, so he died then shortly afterwards. It was actually, he died the same day that Liam Lynch was um, shot, um, okay. which is effectively yeah. the day that ended the Civil War, so it's a, it's a bit unfortunate. Um, so he gave a he has a fairly active service. He's he mm-hmm. a story to tell, you know. So we we just never had this, the full story. So I just oh, that's great. Another great I, addition to our yeah, history. Yeah, ten years really ago, is. I said I'd. Um, and what sources did you did you use? Well, there's a lot of sources out there, but I, I, I've been doing this about twelve years. So we started, I suppose, Bureau of Military History with the statements and so yeah. forth. Are also good start. start and they're all they're all online. Go they're all online. It's great. Over yeah. Christmas, if you're stuck in, as most people will be, yeah, go, 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 in, go into the military uh, the military archives. They're just uh, just incredible. And pick it's a name. Pick, yeah, pick your own name. Incredible. Pick yeah. your own name. See, can you find someone of the same name? Obviously that was involved go into the census report the census of 1904 and 1911 so much people can do online now and as I say a lot of what people are doing like yourself is uh, unique and it hasn't been done before it's called the, the forgotten vice uh, commandment and it's commandant, yeah. yeah, and it's uh, written by uh, Patrick McSweeney and it's about Johnny McSweeney you're great in, in every sense of the word but your grandfather and a great man he well, was. Okay. Removed, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well done. Well so, done, Patrick. Yeah. Patrick, Patrick McSweeney. And put details up on the Twitter feed in a few seconds. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Just the creativity of uh, Irish people is astonishing. And this is uh, forgotten. Airports would never feel the same because it's the world's first airport murder mystery series. Based at Dublin Airport, Detective Garda Anna Jenkinson is on the case. Book one of five. Each uh, will be loosely based on one of the senses, according to Patrick Regan, who was the writer. First time author, worked at Dublin Airport for over 20 years. It costs a tenner and it's available on uh, alanhannas.com. Forgotten, it's called Forgotten, and it's uh, basically what happens is a murdered girl is found in a suitcase on an airport conveyor belt. An armed robbery takes place in the cargo terminal of Dublin Airport the next day. The police officer who discovered a body, Anna Jenkinson, believes the two crimes are related, but she's told to stay off the case. She can't do that. It's book one in the airport uh, murder series. Uh, an anthology of poetry pr- uh, prose uh, called The Voices. Uh, they call themselves the Moat uh, Writers. Uh, it's a, a group that was set up in uh, 2019 around, based around the, the Moat uh, Theatre. And again, lovely production, lots of different essays, something there to, uh, to interest everyone, I think. Um, it's a diverse group of people uh, living uh, in and writing, indeed, uh, around County uh, Kildare. Paul Holland, Paul Holland, good afternoon. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Good, you've written a fa- fabulous book by about the wonderful job, Rob Strong. Tell us, for those who don't know, I, I don't know if there's that many, tell us about Rob Strong. Well, Rob Strong celebrating 60 years on the road this year. He started off in Derry City. He was born a Protestant in the waterside and uh, survived, uh, you know, a very difficult poor childhood in Springtown Camp, an American Navy base there, and has gone on to perform for the last 60 years, bar a few months here and there with lockdowns. But there's not many people that can say that they played every single year from 1961 to this year. Wow. And Rob, I didn't know Rob was was born in Springtown, which was an awful place. It was a, basically an American uh, uh, tin huts, tin huts um, yeah. Uh, used, yeah. used as a base during the Second World War. And then uh, the poor of Derry, uh, were, when yeah. the tenements fell down, they were lived there. And, and in many ways, it's, it's related to the story of the, the troubles as well and discrimination. Um, still going yeah. strong. It was launched uh, in the... Workman's Club here in Dublin, yes. and yeah. um, and how is Rob himself? Oh, Rob is doing great, thanks be to God. Yeah, he's delighted to get back playing now. 
only he's disappointed again to not be able to get out there. He just lives for performing. Uh, Rob is a world-class singer, as a lot of people would have told me in the last, say, four years since I've been manager of Rob Strong and his band. And I I just had to put put it down on paper, Joe. I'm not a, a writer per se, you know. I just wanted to document the quality of his singing, his bass guitar playing, and all the musicians that he have played with over the years, all top-class performers, including Johnny Logan at one point there for a year in 1975. Johnny Logan is just one of many top performers that I got to give me a quote on on, uh, the talent that Rob has. And if you go to the back of the book there, Joe, there's a collection of quotes from the likes of Colin Wilkinson, Barry um, Devlin from Horslips, who also wrote the foreword for me, and uh, Paul Brady. They're just in awe at the world-class talent that he has. But Rob is so humble and down-to-earth. He's not one to put himself forward. That's what I've been doing for the last four Mm. years. And um, the the response we get all over Ireland is the same. We've been playing theatres from uh, Waterford right up to Drogheda, um, and the response is always the same. You know, they just can't understand how he isn't world famous, apart from having the world-class talent. And, and then his son, of course, is a great Andrew Strong. Well, uh, uh, yeah. brilliant performance. Commitments, not most people know him for, but a brilliant That's performer. right, 30 years ago this year, Joe. And um, he's another sister, actually, Neve, who's been performing with the band. She's another fabulous talent. OK, but it's called Still Going Strong, the official Rob Strong biography by Paul Holland. Well done, Paul. Let's go to Timmy Connor. Anyway, Timmy, I'm looking at the cover of your book. It's called The Game of Politics. Yes, Joel. Happy Christmas. And you too. Okay. Nice to talk to you. Your, your connection with Uchtaran uh, Herr and Michael Lee Higgins is on the cover. Oh, yeah. He was a great friend of mine. So I served in the Senate with him. And uh, he was chairman of the party, the Labour Party, and I was the treasurer. We were both elected on the same day. So ah. we served um, together uh, for a long time. And then he, when I was in the Senate with him, so mm. we shared a, shared an office and nearly shared a, de- a desk. So he came to our house a good few times. So we were very friendly. And this, Timmy, people know he's a centre in the Labour Labour Party politicians. Joe, yeah, but but the political memoirs are, are few and far between in this country, aren't they? For some reason, but anyway. So yours is uh, Noel Brown. Tell us about Noel Brown. Well, Noel Brown. Uh, well, everybody knows about Noel Brown. But in this 1970 by-election, he came to Kildare to help, and he came. He used to come uh, to where our headquarters were, and he asked for me in particular. So I went around canvassing with him, and I did that on uh, numerous occasions. And the warmth of uh, the people to Noel Brown was unbelievable. And you know him, he was just um, shy and quiet, but uh, we were asked everywhere in for tea, and, you know, he was just a, a marvel. And you, you have a lovely little vignette about Anna Spring, the, of the, the Spring dynasty, the, the matriarch, Dan Spring's wife and the mother of Dick. Um, yeah, go ahead, Joe. She, she, to, she told you that she had a unique choice when it came to getting married. Yeah, she could have married Michael <laughs> Moynihan or Dan Spring. They were all in the union, in the transport uh, okay. the transport union. So she had the choice between both of them and she picked um, Dan. And uh, they had a long and happy marriage and, and uh, Arthur, Dick, uh, May, Michael Donald, Moynihan, Noel. They were both yeah, great yeah. people. Yeah, great, a great couple. I see you writing the book, but it's a fantastic achievement again, Timmy. You're, why do you, you you like writing? I presume. Well, writing is. Uh, I, well, I don't know if you like it as work, but um, the beauty of it when you read—I don't know—you're um, either a writer or you're not. You know, you yeah. have to get it out of you and get it away. Just so. do it. And when people say to you, "I want to write a book," you say, "What's stopping you? Just start." I remember he had blank page. Yeah, that's just it. go. I mean, it's just there, go. but it's work. Well done, well done, well done. That's t- uh, Timmy Conway, Game of Politics. And uh, the there's nine people on the cover and they're Joe Birmingham, I think I got them all, Frank Kloski, Joseph Keating, Charlie McCreevy, Patsy Lawler of the ICA, Noel Brown, Michael O'Leary uh, of L- Leader of the Labour Party, former Tonish, Timmy yourself and uh, Uchtar on the hair and uh, uh, Michael D. Higgins. Well done, well done.